Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 41 and the beginning of season 5 of Never Not Knitting. I'm pleased to announce that I have some great episodes in store for you this season. I've been talking to lots of different people and planning some really fun surprises for you podcast listeners. In the next 10 episodes, you can expect to hear from some of the latest and greatest designers in our industry. I also have some new books to share with you and tons of awesome giveaways provided by episode sponsors. I've never been more excited about a podcast season, and I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. This episode of Never Not Knitting is brought to you by Knit Circus Online Magazine. Check out the latest issues at www.knitcircus.com. Hello, and thank you for joining me. Well, it's been a few months since you last heard from me. I do really enjoy producing this podcast, but I am very grateful for my podcast breaks. Usually, my breaks offer me an opportunity to somewhat relax and knit, but I've been so busy over the past few months that there has not been that much relaxing or knitting going on, unfortunately. The break was nice, though, because it did give me one less thing on my plate, one less responsibility to have to worry about. So what have I been doing that has been keeping me so busy? Well, first of all, our family moved for the second time in four months, so as you can imagine, that was a lot of work. Also, the past few months were spent finalizing a huge project that I have been working on for this entire past year for my knitting business, and that is my new printed pattern collection. As you probably already know, a few years ago now I started designing and selling pattern PDF files on my blog in Ravelry. When I embarked on that endeavor, I had no idea what to expect. I really wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in my patterns. So I started out small, and besides hiring a technical editor, I did pretty much everything myself. But as time went on, I came out with more patterns, and my business really grew. And before I knew it, I was no longer just selling PDFs to knitters, but I was also shipping out printed versions of the patterns to yarn shops. Doing all of this really made me stop and evaluate where my business was going and really what I wanted to accomplish. It was at this point that I felt the need to improve my pattern line. So over the past year, I've teamed up with two very talented graphic designers, one being Jill Zielinski from Knitterella.com and a great new technical editor as well, and got to work redesigning the layout for each and every pattern that I've designed. Now, that may seem like not that big of a deal. Well, that's what I thought at first, anyways. I figured that I could get the whole project done in, say, a month. Okay, maybe two months at the most. Yeah, right. Getting these patterns professionally redesigned was the most tedious, time-consuming work ever, and I didn't even do any of the actual design work. 
First, there was a process of picking the patterns apart with my technical editor and tweaking the numbers when necessary. This resulted in most of the patterns needing to be test-knit again. And then, when the patterns re-knit, and you think that everything is just perfect, you find out that it isn't. It was just constant back and forth between the technical editor and the graphic designers, and millions upon millions of revisions took place. Well, it seemed like that anyways. Seriously though, after being designed, most patterns went through 10 to 20 revisions before they were ready for print in the new format. Even when you think you've caught every error, every typo, there is always something else that could be made better. It drives a perfectionist like me absolutely crazy. Because the graphic designers were the ones formatting the text for me, and because so many versions were being passed back and forth between so many people, there were a lot of opportunities for mess-ups with the text. And one of my graphic designers wasn't even a knitter and had never even seen a pattern before, so it was completely foreign territory to her, poor thing. So that was a challenge for both of us. So basically, what I'm trying to say here is that it was an insanely complicated, tedious project, and I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into with this. Despite the challenges, though, it was the best decision I have ever made. I wasn't sure if I would ever see this day, but the patterns are all done now and all professionally printed on this glossy cardstock, and they are absolutely beautiful. I truly am so proud of them. These graphic artists I work with are extremely talented, creative people, and they contributed their own artwork to each pattern. The result is a collection of patterns that are themed and include unique hand-drawn illustrations. Each pattern is a little work of art. I'm pretty sure that my graphic designers and technical editor hate me and never want to work for me again after this monstrous undertaking, but yeah, it was worth it. They really turned out great. If you'd like to see my new printed pattern line, please visit my blog at nevernotknitting.com for more information. I posted lots of pictures of my new printed paper pattern children. Yes, I love them that much. Remember that if you'd like to purchase any of these patterns, the PDFs are available online, as always, but these new printed versions are only available through yarn shops. I have a list of the pattern stockists available on my blog. If you don't see your yarn shop listed, please invite your yarn shop owner to contact me for information. So, while I was on break, in the middle of pattern editing and moving, I was able to add a new design to the collection, and that is my shawl-collared cowl pattern. And if you remember, this is the design that I was working on with the Misty Alpaca Chunky Yarn. The shawl-collared cowl is, well, a shawl-collared cowl. <laughs> or, if it makes it easier, a cowl with a shawl collar. The whole thing is knit in one strip that overlaps and buttons up really elegantly on one side. The collar is formed while you knit the piece through increasing and decreasing stitches, 
and through the use of short rows, which I've discovered that I'm obsessed with. A shawl collar is a gently curved collar that starts from nothing and reaches its highest point at the back of the neck. It's worn folded over on itself and the look is very elegant. I've always admired the way this collar looks on sweaters and since it's up on your neck, it's also very warm. And since the whole purpose of wearing a cowl is to keep your neck warm, I thought that a cowl with the addition of a shawl collar would be a perfect match. Cowls are a great alternative to a traditional scarf. You know when you're wearing a bulky scarf under a winter coat and the tails of the scarf that are tucked into your coat just kind of make you look bulkier than you are? It's for this reason that I'm only really into lightweight scarves or scarves that I can tie around my neck and keep them out of the way. The point of wearing a scarf is to keep your neck warm but all that excess fabric, especially in really long, bulky scarves, can be just a really big bother and seriously get in the way. So a cowl is nice because it does its job very well. It keeps your neck really warm, it stays in place, and it looks great under a jacket. And with a cowl, you don't have to worry about an unruly, long scarf unraveling, or getting caught on things, or has this ever happened to you, getting accidentally dipped in the toilet water when you're trying to use a public restroom, or say, falling into your food when you lean over a restaurant table, or maybe serving as an accidental strangling device if you step on it. All of these things have unfortunately happened to me, and as you can see, scarves can very well be a hazard, a menace to society. So protect your loved ones, and knit them a cowl. If you're concerned about their safety, and about their neck staying warm, and about them not looking overweight in a winter jacket, you'll do the right thing. As I already mentioned, I knit this cowl out of the Misty Alpaca Chunky yarn, and it turned out so luxurious. Alpaca is a really warm fiber anyways, so having the bulky weight wrapped around your neck is extremely warm. You of course could use any bulky weight yarn to knit this cowl, but I really recommend the alpaca. It's just so soft, and the drape is really nice for this piece, and it makes the collar lay down really nicely. As I shared before on a previous podcast episode, I originally was asked to design this pattern from the yarn shop Jimmy Bean's Wool to show off their new exclusive landscape colorways that they have available in this Misty Alpaca Chunky Yarn. The cowl that I made is knit in a solid, since when I designed this they didn't yet have the landscape colorways available, and it looks great in a solid. But if you like the variegated colorways, check out the landscape collection. I've always enjoyed the way that Misty Alpaca blends their variegated yarn. It's not too crazy, it's very well blended, and the landscape colorways are no exception. They're really soft and really pretty, and since this cowl has such a basic stitch pattern, I think it would accommodate this kind of multicolored yarn really nicely. So besides the cowl and the pattern project monstrosity, 
I've also managed to finish up a few small knitting projects in the past few months. I will tell you about them, but please check out my blog if you would like to see pictures. So first I finished up the cute stripy little knitted monsters that I was making for my daughter that I shared in the last couple episodes. And they turned out to be pretty much the cutest things ever. Seriously, everyone who sees these monsters loves them. They have so much character. I also finished up that second Fructigard hat for my friend, and she actually wears it, which is amazingly cool, since that pretty much never happens with knitted gifts that I give to people. I also just recently started and completed two six-month size samples of my Chloe sweater for a future trunk show display. It was fun revisiting that pattern because it is such a quick knit. Chloe, if you remember, is just this cute little top-down short sleeve cardigan for little girls. And the construction just couldn't be simpler. It just flew off the needles. I have to tell you though, it was sort of strange following my own pattern. It didn't really feel like my pattern because it was so long ago when I knit the original. And I'm also not used to knitting from my own instructions on nice printed patterns. Usually when I'm re-knitting a design, I'm trying to decipher what should be words, scribble on pieces of paper. So this was kind of a strange experience for me. Also in the past few weeks, I started a brand new design. And I will be talking about that more later, but for now I'll just tell you that it is cabley, leafy, and out of this crazy gorgeous yarn. I will keep you updated. So since I haven't been knitting as much as I've wanted to, I've been doing plenty of daydreaming about knitting to make up for it. I have so many things that I want to make, but less and less time to actually knit them. I'm still very much so wanting to make that paper doll sweater and the sabbatical cardigan. I love those patterns and I have all the yarn ready to go. I'm now also dying to knit Hannah Fedick's new effortless cardigan. If you haven't seen that yet, you really should check it out. I am seriously wanting that sweater. I love the style of it and I'm also intrigued by how it's constructed in the front because it's really unusual and looks really fun. It also helps that it calls for one of my favorite yarns, Madeline Tosh. It calls for the DK weight. Ever since I knit my Cosette wrap in the Olivia colorway, I've been really wanting a sweater out of that same color because that color is just my favorite. So one of these days, hopefully, I will get around to making my own effortless cardigan in Madeline Tosh DK in Olivia. That would be like one of the most ideal sweaters. So those are my current knitting fantasies. I'm constantly frustrated by how many beautiful patterns there are to knit and how little time there is. So in this episode, I wanted to introduce you to Knit Circus Online Magazine. I started corresponding with Jala Spiro, the editor, earlier this year, and have become more and more familiar with this company. This magazine is really cool and has a really interesting business model. Right off the bat, I was attracted to this magazine's content. 
it's not just about knitting. It also has baking recipes and sewing patterns. And since knitting and baking are my first two loves, this immediately spoke to me. The other unique thing about Knit Circus is this. It's an online magazine, like I previously said. It offers free articles, interviews, reviews, and pattern previews, just like Twist Collective. The only difference is that you can purchase the entire collection of patterns for a very reasonable price. The fall collection, for instance, offers 25 knitting and sewing patterns for only $7.99, and the gift issue of Knit Circus is only $6.50. So with Knit Circus, you can get 25 patterns for around the cost of one knitting pattern from Twist Collective. So I just thought that was pretty cool and a really good value. But if you're one of those people that doesn't want 25 more patterns in your library, and there is just one pattern that you're interested in, you do have the option of purchasing individual patterns from the Knit Circus Pattern Store for $3.50 each. The other great thing about Knit Circus I found is that there is a very nice variety of patterns offered. There's knitting and sewing patterns for men, women, and children. Also what's cool is that you can subscribe to Knit Circus like a print magazine and receive a full year of pattern collections. So there's lots of options available. Right now there are two issues of Knit Circus available online, the fall issue and the new special gifts issue. What I enjoyed about both of these issues were the great reviews. They offer reviews on books, yarns, and products, and also they have interviews, which are awesome. The gifts issue offers a great interview with designer Sally Melville, and the fall issue interviews both Kat Bordy and Amanda Soul from the blog Soul Mama. I personally find all of these designers extremely interesting, so I was really happy to find these articles. Additionally, both issues contain lots of wonderful knitting patterns of all kinds, and the gift issue, of course, focuses on smaller projects, such as hats, scarves, and mitts. I'm really interested in submitting designs to this magazine in the future. I looked over the designer agreement, and they seem very reasonable about designer rights, which is really important when you're self-publishing. Another interesting fact I enjoyed learning about Knit Circus is that they donate to two really cool charity organizations with every issue, which I think is really great. I'm just very happy that I learned more about this magazine. I've heard the name Knit Circus for maybe a few years now, but I never really looked into it or knew what it was about. But now that I have, I really like it, and I'm definitely going to be paying attention to all the new issues. I hope I've piqued your interest about it too. As this episode's sponsor, Knit Circus has graciously provided a special opportunity for the Never Not Knitting listeners. You can try out all 25 patterns in the fall pattern collection, as well as the entire gift collection, for a special discounted price. To receive this special Never Not Knitting discount, please visit the show notes post for this episode on my blog for more information. There you will find two special Buy Now buttons for both the gifts and fall pattern collections. Using these special discount buttons on my blog, instead of ordering the issues from the Knit Circus site, 
will give you the discount. Again, this promotion is only available to the Never Not Knitting listeners and blog readers and is only available on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. So, come try it out for yourself. The offer is only good until November 1st. Also, in the next couple of days, I will be posting a special Knit Circus Drawing giveaway on my blog. Jala has kindly provided six prizes for me to give away, so don't forget to check that out as well. I will be providing links to the Knit Circus site and information pages in this episode's show notes. This episode's knitting story was contributed by podcast listener Cami. I'm happy to present her story entitled The Birth of a Knitter or Why I Lived Next to Webb's Yarn Store for 31 Years and Never Went. yarn wasn't a part of my consciousness. Knitting was not a part of my skill set. That time was not so long ago, actually. It was less than two years ago. This is a story about how I went from crafter to knitter to wholesaler and back again in just moments. I am a crafty girl. I love crafts. It's genetic. My mom is one of the most talented crafters I know, and the house I grew up in contained her fabric room. And yes, buried somewhere deep within the stacks of beautiful fabrics laid thread yarn hooks and knitting needles. But I never thought anything of it. My mom taught me how to sew before I was nine. With pliers in hand, I was making earrings at age ten. I kept it crafty people, and I didn't stop there, trying all kinds of different crafts, all except yarn craft. I lived within an hour of webs, yes, that webs, for my entire life, and I never once visited. It wasn't until after I moved to the Midwest and started listening to crafty podcasts that I started to get the yarn obsession. Crafty Pod by Sister Diane is a podcast that opened an entirely new world to me. In one episode, Sister Diane actually described how to crochet. After hearing how simple it sounded and realizing that I'd actually be creating fabric, I became highly motivated to learn crochet, and I promptly sent in my invitation request to Ravelry. On the day that I received my invitation to join Ravelry, I decided I'd better get going learning how to crochet. I found a ball of eyelash yarn at the dollar store, cliché I know, and I asked my mom for a crochet hook. I took to crochet really quickly, and after some time became enamored with it. I finally got it. I knew what all the fuss was about. I loved yarn. And I felt like crochet was a survival skill. I thought I could make anything, even if I were stranded on a deserted island like those people on Lost, I would be okay. I was empowered. I was crochet and proud. But I started to hear knitting calling my name. My early attempts at knitting had proven, well, not exactly unsuccessful but rather tedious and slow. 
to be truthful, I didn't like the slow process of knitting English. I just didn't like it. I put down the needles for about a year. But when knitting called my name again last spring, I had to answer. After thinking about it for months, I pulled out my sister's old bamboo needles and started to knit. I was still knitting English, and I was determined to like it, but it was still slow. There had to be a better way. I thought it was time to try Continental. I still couldn't get my needles to fall into a rhythm, and it was even slower than knitting English, but I was highly motivated to learn knitting. So I tried something. At night, after I put down my needles with the embarrassingly small piece of knitted fabric from the long hours I had put in, I lay down in my bed and tried to relax by imagining the continental knit stitch. How would I hold the yarn? How would the needles move? How could I make that clumsy movement fluid? Wait a sec. Wait. It clicked. I sat up straight in bed, flicked my lamp on, grabbed my needles, and started to go. I was knitting continental. Or so I thought. After flying through a huge piece of striped garter stitch fabric, which turned out to be a cute and colorful felted bag, it was time to master the purl stitch. So I again consulted my knitting manuals, but I was bothered by something. It didn't make sense that I should have to pull my yarn to the front of my work just to purl. Is that what knitters actually did? Well, I guess that is what they did. So I decided to go ahead and knit a rectangle in stockinette. I had one ball of Lion Brand Woolies and size 12 needles. I followed the Continental Pearl instructions as best I could with my fumbling fingers. And I actually did get a little rhythm going, but these pearl rows still seemed to take forever. Yet I stuck with it, and eventually I did make something out of that stockinette rectangle. I even crocheted a pretty ruffle on one end and connected the other two corners together to make a cute scarf, which I called the Oriana Scarflet. Then I stuffed it into a drawer and moved on to my next project. I was still bothered by this slow continental pearl. I knew that the novelty of knitting would wear off and soon I'd be back to crochet, never to return if I didn't do something. So I searched for Continental Pearl on YouTube. One video that caught my eye described the Eastern European way of purling. The best thing about this stitch was that the yarn stays in the back of the work. Sold. I was on board and ready to go. I watched the video a few times and quickly picked up the technique. Out of curiosity, I clicked on the Eastern European knit stitch and discovered that what I was calling continental had been Eastern European all along. Like many crafters, I had a drawer full of finished objects and next to nothing to do with them. One day, I mustered up all my courage and stuffed my cute, multicolor felted bag with a bunch of handcrafted stuff and got myself to a quirky boutique in the posh part of Mexico City the city which I now call home. And that is how I met La Dueña. 
When I inquired at the boutique about selling my items, I was told that I'd have to ask la dueña, meaning the owner, who was about to arrive. Just then, la dueña, a woman dressed all in white, with a gold belt and a yellow and green duster, floated into the store. She was shiny, elegant, and slightly intimidating, but she greeted me warmly and politely looked at my original creations. To my surprise, she gravitated toward my knitted items. I'd like a lot of these, she said, pointing to the Oriana scarflet. Con flores, with flowers, y grandes, big ones, in many colors. Whoa, what? She liked my scarf? My knitted scarf? Next, she motioned toward the felted bag, which I had just brought along to hold my items. Did you make this? She inquired, fascinated. Yes, I replied. I designed it, too. I'd like a lot of these, but grande, and I want a flower, grande. I nodded, took her contact information, gathered my samples, and walked out of the store in a daze. She liked my stuff. She wanted to buy lots of my stuff. I couldn't believe it. I was elated, but my mind was reeling. I didn't think La Duena had any idea how much yarn or how much time it took to make just one felted bag. But if I got a knitting machine, I could make felted bags quickly. Yet the cost of yarn, the cost of the machine, well, I'd easily make that back in the first few months. But the more I thought about it, the less sense it made. I wasn't going to make big felted bags. I could still sell my Oriana scarflets, though, right? In order to determine price, I timed myself and found out that it would take me an hour to knit the scarf without the crocheted edging or the big crocheted flower. And even after 20 minutes, I began to get bored. Where was the joy? I didn't want to spend my summer knitting boring scarves while I should be out having fun. Knitting is fun relaxing and amazing, but it becomes a chore when you have to do it. I put down the scarf, and I didn't regret it. I declined the order from La Duena, and I think it's better that way. I'm back to knitting just for pleasure and discovery. I recently learned the long tail cast on in a knitting class. So what's in my knitting future? Cables, perhaps? Thank you, Cammie, for sharing your story with the podcast. I'll be linking to Cammie's blog and Ravelry page in this episode's show notes, so be sure to pay her a visit. Well, that's pretty much it for today's episode. Please join me back on October 15th for episode 42. And I'm just telling you this now. The next episode will be awesome. It is not one to be missed. I'm going to be having a very, very special guest joining me, one of the biggest names in the knitting industry. So be sure to listen. As always, the show notes for this podcast can be found on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also over on Ravelry.com as Never Not Knitting, and you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. She won't even do the dishes. 
house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a clicking from morning until she goes to bed. She won't take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair. If it isn't about knitting, she just doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry, no pants, no shirts, no underwear, but they have closets full of sweaters, and more socks than they could ever wear. There's yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. Even in the washer and dryer That's why She can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors Say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh is burning up in flames. Oh, 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching And, well, she's losing all she had